Welcome to the Grace Monroe Podcast. We are a community of Jesus followers located in Monroe, Georgia, that exists to pursue God's heart for the restoration of all things. For more information about our church, visit graceformonroe.com. But in the meantime, we hope you enjoy this week's message. excited that we are here. Today is a significant and a big day, a big day for us at Grace Monroe as we are uh, launching into a new season, our official bold opening uh, as we open up this uh, new space, uh, uh, our Little Oaks uh, Preschool and our Bold Springs Coffee, our Grace Kids area, uh, and just celebrate that God is just moving us one step forward, one step at a time. And so for those of you that, as Kyle mentioned, um, after church, after the second service, we'll be outside in the next service, and then uh, we'll be doing a barbecue lunch and uh, games and stuff for the kids. So feel free to come on back for lunch um, and, and join us for that celebration as well. But as, uh, as Ben said, we are starting today a new series in the book of Colossians. So you're going to want your Bible this morning. It's what we do at Grace. We worship God, we open the Word together, and then we see how God is forming and shaping and sending us out to live in that reality for the rest of the week. So open your Bible to the book of Colossians. If you need a Bible, uh, slip up your hands. We got a Bible for you that we can give you. If you don't have a Bible, you could take that home, or if you just didn't bring yours today, feel free to use that. But uh, um, Troy will walk around if you need a Bible and he'll give that to you. But Colossians, the letter to the church in Colossae. So as we're starting into a new season and uh, it was so much excitement about ministry launching and happening, uh, even on a conversation on the way in, talking about that things are starting to open up again and our, our kids are starting to go do activities and, you know, movies are actually starting to show again and there's, there's social activity. Downtown, Doc Dogs. If any of you have gone by Doc Dogs this weekend, it is crazy. Yes, it is uh, an entire weekend festival dedicated to throwing your dog in water. That is the essence of it. You throw a toy out, tease them, and they jump for it and land in a pool. So uh, apparently it's a big competition. It's exciting. It's right down the road. But it, stuff's happening, right? We're starting to get engaged. We're starting to get excited. Things are, things are going on. And then as a church, you know, I mean, this place was a dream. Actually, at times, a nightmare, right? I mean, you would walk in and it's like, okay, how is God ever going to do anything here? It's a mess. It's, it's just broken we said, no, we believe that God's calling us to do something significant in this town, in this community. And even at the time, we said, it's never about these buildings. Even though we're celebrating that we're opening up a new building, it's not about the building, is it? It's never been about bricks and mortar, but about what God could do in those spaces that are dedicated to him, to invest in young lives, to send people out, to create space for community. And so it felt appropriate that as we are beginning a new thing, that we would come back to the main thing. That we wouldn't forget in all of the activity and the busyness and the excitement and the celebration what this is all about. And it's simple. It's about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. I, I can remember being on, going on Young Life staff. And uh, Young Life, if you're not familiar, is, is an outreach ministry to middle school and high school kids. And, 
and uh, act, it's all kinds of fun stuff you do. Take kids to camp, and you have weekly clubs, and, and you're on the high school campus hanging out with kids on their turf. Actually, Young Life started from uh, this young youth pastor in, in Texas, and he was uh, in this church, and the pastor pulled him aside one day, and they looked out the window, and across the street from the church was the local high school. The pastor put his arm around his shoulder, and he said, you know what? We're doing okay with the kids that are in the, inside these walls. What I want you to focus on is all those kids over there that are inside of those walls that would never come inside of these walls. It's out of that Young Life was born with this idea that we're gonna, we're gonna go to kids. We're gonna, in, we're, just like Jesus who took on flesh and moved into the neighborhood, we're gonna go to their turf and meet them where they are and not focus so much on creating exciting, attractive spaces for them to come to us, but we're gonna go to them. And years later, as Young Life grew and spread, not just across the United States and not just with high schoolers, but now with middle schoolers into college towns and around the world, literally, Jim Rayburn, that young youth pastor, was on his deathbed. And uh, there's, there's an annual, all, or every four years, sorry, an all-staff conference where every staff person around the world comes together for a week of worship and celebration. And it was time for the annual, for that, for that every four-year all-staff conference. Jim Rayburn, who had been uh, diagnosed with cancer a, a couple years before, knew his time was close, weak in bed, but he said, I want one last address to our staff. His children were like, this is a bad idea, Dad, I don't know. But God, by the Spirit of God, I guess, he, he got up out of that hospital bed, he made his way to that auditorium, and he stood on that stage, and this is what he said. He said, I don't want you to ever forget that young life is about one thing and only one thing, Jesus. And that's all it's about. And I can remember years after that speech coming into that culture and my heart resonating with that phrase. It is all about Jesus. And he is the beginning and the end. He is the source and the sustainer. He is the point of everything. He created all things and all things were created for him. Jesus is the source of our life, the end of our life, the point of our life. And I think so many times, especially in our world, our culture, we can just get caught up in so much craziness and noise and nonsense and lose sight that it's all about Jesus. And I really believe that if we could get a clear picture of Jesus, a clear view of Jesus, it would change our lives. And being transformed, it would change this city. It's all about Jesus. And so that's what the book of Colossians is all about. In fact, a famous Bible commentator, a guy named J.B. Lightfoot, said about Paul's letter to the Colossians that the doctrine of the person of Christ is stated in Colossians with greater precision, with greater accuracy and fullness than in any other of Paul's letters. In other words, if you want to know what Jesus is like more than any other book in the Bible apart from the Gospels themselves, Paul gives us a crystal clear picture of Jesus in this letter. A number of years ago, a study came out um, 
about astronauts. And, uh, and there was this interesting phenomenon that was happening uh, that was just reoccurring with such frequency that they started to, to make note of it. And it was that when, when astronauts would go up into outer space and they would gl- get a glimpse of the earth from that perspective of the globe, that little ball of blue floating in space, it would have a profound transformative impact on their lives. It would change the way they saw reality. And so they actually called this the overview effect. Apollo 14 astronaut Edgar Mitchell said, he said, described it like this. He said, something happens to you out there. You develop an instant global consciousness, a people orientation, an intense dissatisfaction with the state of the world, and a compulsion to do something about it. In fact, it's interesting that Charlie Duke, who was on Apollo 16, became a Christian after seeing Earth from outer space. Jim Irwin of Apollo 15 became a preacher. Edgar Mitchell, uh, who I just quoted, he he created an entire research to alter transformation. I mean, sorry, to, uh, to, to research transformation. Over and over again, Getting a, zooming out and getting a picture of the world changed their lives. And that's exactly what Colossians is. It's like Paul zooms out past all of the noise and the busyness and the conflicts and conspiracies and arguments and just says, okay, here it is. This is Jesus. And if we get a clear view of Jesus, it will change our lives. So enough about that. Let's actually look at it. Starting in Colossians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ at Colossae, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints. The faith and the love that spring up from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven. And that you already heard about in the word of truth. That is the gospel that has come to you. Now you see all over the world, this gospel, it's bearing fruit and it's growing. Just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace and all its truth. I mean, you learned it from Epaphras. He's our dear fellow servant. He's a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the spirit. So for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And so we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. 
There's a lot there. I mean, we could actually spend an entire month just diving into those first 14 verses. Today, I just want to kind of give a, a general overview of Colossians. But even as I say most weeks, way more important than anything that I could say from up here is what God is wanting to speak to you through his word. So I strongly encourage you. In fact, I'm skipping all the way to the end of my sermon. The whole application of this sermon is just simply this. Go home and saturate yourself in this book, in this letter. I I would encourage you, read it every day. You can read the book of Colossians in less than 15 minutes. Read it every morning. Memorize it. Meditate on it. I would actually encourage you, Colossians being about Jesus and giving us a clear picture of who he actually is, is, is to intersperse your reading of Colossians and start reading Mark, the Gospel of Mark, one of the, the actually the first book of the New Testament, this account of Jesus' life. And just start letting yourself soak in this reality of who Jesus is. If you want a clear picture of God, look at Jesus. If you want to know how God talks, Look how Jesus talks. You want to know how God treats people? Look how Jesus treated people. So Colossians, you're taking notes. The author is understood and actually not really even that debated that it was, in fact, who it claims to be by. Uh, Paul, who encountered Christ on that road to Damascus. And as we said, a clear picture of Jesus will change your life. Paul knew that firsthand, didn't he? Right On the road to Damascus, he actually had a mission to destroy Christianity. He, he felt like it was against who God was because he didn't understand who Jesus was. In fact, he was so stirred up and angry about what he thought Christians were about that he was willing to imprison them and put them even to death. That's how passionately he felt about who he thought Jesus was until he met Jesus. It's interesting how many conversations I'm having with people, especially in their 30s and younger, who say and ask it, like, so you're not going to church anymore. You're not a part of whatever, you know, Grace Athens or coming to Grace Monroe or Grace Midtown or whatever. You, is it just COVID? Like, what's going on? And often it's almost a little sheepish. And it's like, no, I, I, still, I still believe, and sometimes it's like, I think, but I just have a really hard time with Christians. It's like, I think I like this Jesus thing, but it's the Christians I have a hard time with. Which, amen. I mean, Christians are like me. Imperfect people that say stupid things and do stupid things and don't do the right thing all the time. And we're all imperfect. It's like, but if we can move past what we think about Christians and get to Jesus... <laughs> That's what's going to change our lives. I think a lot of the arguments that we're having in, in culture, in the world, a lot of the animosity the world feels towards the church has nothing to do with Jesus. It's about those that just don't do a good job representing him. And so we keep coming back. It's all about Jesus. Let's get a clear view of Jesus, and it will change our lives. And exactly what happened for Paul, Paul writes this book to this little church in a small town called Colossae. I actually had to look that up. Uh, I did the little Google uh, pronunciation thing because I really wasn't sure. And I was like, I'm about to have to get up there and say that word a bunch. But that's it. If you want to know, Colossae is how you correctly pronounce this little town 
that Paul was writing to, actually a town that he never visited that we know of. This wasn't one of the churches that he planted. He, he wrote it about the year 60. And, and in the year 60, Paul was actually sitting in a Roman prison. The town or the, the area that part of the world was being brutalized by an emperor named Nero who hated Christians. A culture that was antagonistic and, and false teachings that were rising up within the church. Arguments about who Jesus was and who he wasn't. In that part of the world, the worship of angels was celebrated. And so there was a form of spirituality. And it was one of those things that you either, you kind of added Jesus like a lucky rabbit's foot or a totem, you know. Like, I'll add Jesus to my lucky angels. Actually, in lots of places around the world, that's still the case. In Benin in West Africa, where we have an incredible partnership. We're seeing the gospel spread, uh, discipleship movement happening over there. Is that the joke is that half of the people are Christian, or 50% of the people are Christians, 50% of the people are Muslims, 100% of them are voodoo. Like they all, I mean, it's like, yeah, sure, I'll take Jesus on top of Muhammad, on top of whatever other God or witchcraft I can get. Whatever, it's like going to the pharmacy and getting an assortment of pills. Now, that's a little extreme over there, but... If we're honest, are there ways that we do the same thing, right? Like I'll add Jesus a little bit to my college football and my Roth IRA and my paycheck and my kids' soccer. I'll get a little bit of Jesus sprinkled in, right? Hope that didn't hit too hard there. Or I'm just getting zero response. You're like, not me, I'm good. Instead of the whole thing being about him and we filter all of those other things under his authority and through, view them through his eyes. But that's the culture that Paul is writing into in the year 60, writing to this little town. Now, the other thing I like about it as we're starting in this series and why I feel like this is appropriate for us is, you know, yes, as a reminder, as we're getting, <clears throat> starting new things to come back to the main thing, but, but also Colossae is actually a lot like Monroe. It's interesting, so Colossae, it sits between two other towns, if you even throw that map up there, a town called Laodicea and a town called Heropolis, which were actually the educational and the commercial centers of that part of the world. I mean, they were the powerhouses. Colossae was just little, this little town that sat between the two. And I was thinking, you know, that's a lot like us, right? You got Athens, 20, 30 minutes to, to the east, this educational center. You got Atlanta, an hour to the west, the commercial center of the southeast. And here's this little town called Monroe that sits right between them, this easily forgotten place. And I love that God chooses to use a letter to this little town to be part of his eternal written word as an encouragement to all followers of Jesus all over the world, is almost this reminder that God can do incredibly powerful things, big things in little places. And I say this all the time. I think about, you know, Nathan, uh, them coming to, to Nathan and telling him, we found the Messiah, it's Jesus of Nazareth, and him going, Nazareth? Did anything good come out of Nazareth? 
And this hope that as we enter into this season and embrace this reality that Jesus is the center and the source and the point of our lives and let him begin to shape us and form us and transform us, conform us to his image, that as we are changed, this place is changed and out of this small town, like Colossae, God can make an eternal global impact. I really believe that. Do you? Do you really believe that God, a little life like yours, could do something of eternal significance? Jesus can do big things from small places. Because if we get a clear view of Jesus, it'll change our lives. We know that from Paul, but we also know that Paul, if you go... Actually, to the book of Acts. Acts 19.10 is, is what is believed to actually be the start of this letter to the Colossians. Because in Acts 19.10, it says that, that Paul took the disciples with him and had daily discussions in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This, this went on for two years. So that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of God. It's actually believed that it was during these lectures in, in this city that, uh, that a guy named Epaphras from this little town called Colossae heard and understood the gospel for the first time, got a clear picture of Jesus, went back home to his little town, started telling them about Jesus. A church was born in that place, wrestling with what it means to follow Jesus in their world. Obviously, some issues were starting to arise. Epaphras takes his concerns, finds Paul imprisoned in Rome, tells him what's going on in his hometown, and Paul writes this letter. So we know what this letter, who this letter was to, who it's from, but why? What is the theme? We've been saying it over and over again. But it's interesting, there's 96 verses in the book of Colossians. Jesus and or Christ is in 25 of them. In other words, 25% of every verse that is in this letter includes the name Jesus in it. And the word all appears 32 times. So in a simple sentence, what is this book about? It's all about Jesus. Say that with me. It's all about Jesus. That was pathetic. It's all about Jesus, right? I mean, I'm not going anywhere very much deeper. That's where, that's where we are headed. And that is where we will sit today. This letter is meant to be an encouragement and a reminder. Remember who Jesus is. Remember who you are because of what Jesus has done. And now go and live in light of that reality. Paul looked at his people, or it was writing to these people, and knowing the struggles that they face, just like the struggles that we face. And he began with this. He began celebrating with their faith and their love. Their love for God, their love for Jesus, and their love for one another. Again, the book of Colossians, you can get all complicated and scholarly and theological, but it is actually incredibly simple. And think about all of the debates that are raging in our world today. Think about all of the emotional and spiritual energy that is going even Christians against one another. And why is it that when 
when Paul is saying, let's come back to the main thing, it is incredibly simple. Keep your focus on Jesus, love each other, and stay faithful even when everything around you is going to pieces. And it's in this place, this simple faith and this love for the saints, this love for Jesus, that he says that your life is beginning to bear fruit. Just like the gospel bears fruit wherever it's planted. We see in the Bible, there's kind of three types of fruit that specifically gets named. There's the, the fruit of generosity, that the way that we see the gospel bear itself out in our lives is that we begin to live our lives open-handed and open-hearted. That all of a sudden we're not clinging in fear and desperation to the things that we have, but asking God. And we said that before about do we add Jesus like a little bit of sugar to our coffee or is Jesus the whole point and we see our lives through that lens? And if so, then all of a sudden everything we have, everything I own, everything that is, that is in my possession, all of the things that I, am, uh, that I am pursuing and doing and dreaming about, all of them are with the focus on and the end in mind is how does this represent and glorify Christ? So just real simply, just even right now, so my biggest fear getting into some of this is that we would make it this kind of philosophical idea, like a bumper sticker we put on the back of our car, but like, really, think about your life. Think about last week. Think about the things that upset you. Think about the things that made you anxious, that got your heart racing, that you're worried about. Think about what you spent most of your time on. Think about what you paid for, what your money went towards. Think about the conversations that you had, whether at work or with your family, with friends or neighbors. What would it look like if all of those things were saturated in the reality that the presence of God in the person of Jesus Christ was alive and faithful and available and present to you right now. I mean, the point of Colossians is that he is sufficient. He is all we need, no matter what. Whether our bank account is full or empty, whether the world is collapsing or exalting, it doesn't matter what's going on in our life. He's sufficient. He's all that we need. But he's also supreme. He is the king. He is the Lord. He is the most important thing on the planet and all the cosmos. So as we go into this week, as we begin this study in Colossians, they begin to pull out, all right, Lord, who is Jesus and who is he and who am I in light of him and how do I live in light of this reality? And come back, I already gave you the application for this week. But I strongly, if I can encourage you to do anything, it would be to soak yourself in this book and combine it with the Gospel of Mark. And the second is this, is, is what fruit are, is bearing in your life right now? The fruit of, oh, I didn't get past generosity. Sorry, there's three types of fruit. 
Generosity being one of them. The other the Bible mentions, obviously, the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of character, this character that gets formed by Jesus in us. He names it in Colossians, love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The important thing about fruit is that you don't get fruit by focusing on the fruit. You get fruit by focusing on the root. And so if our life focused in on Jesus, letting him saturate and impact our soul, that we keep running to him, looking to him, meditating, soaking ourselves in him, leaning on him, relying on him, then what Paul is saying is your life will reveal itself in peace and patience, kindness, goodness. I think a lot of times we go running, it's like, I gotta be more kind got to be more patient, got to be more self-controlled. And Jesus is like, yeah, good luck, buddy. Come to me, <laughs> come to me, and watch this stuff begin to form itself in your life. The third kind of fruit we see is the fruit of good works, the fruit of reproducing discipleship. Is that our life, that the things God is doing in us, God begins to do it through us and pour out to others. And so, one, soak in this word this week. Two is, what is the fruit your life is producing? What is the fruit your life is producing? The things that we just named, that the spirit, the, this uh, life saturated in Christ produces? Or are we seeing more anxiety, fear, concern, selfishness, greed, accumulation, prestige, pride, unforgiveness, bitterness, anxiety? And what do we do with that? We come back to Jesus. What has changed my life over and over again is that in the times, in the seasons, when it feels like I am at my end, when I am exhausted, when I'm depleted, when I'm angry, when I'm hurt, when I'm wounded, it is just to keep coming back to this place. All right, Lord, you are real and you are with me. Jesus, where are you right now? What do you want me to know? Where are you right now? What do you want me to know? What do I do with this? Keep coming back to Jesus. It's simple. It's not easy, but it's simple. And so we want to start doing something to begin saturating our minds in this. The next part of Colossians, and the worship team can come on up. The, the next part of Colossians is when Paul shifts from this greeting, from this welcome and affirmation and encouragement to this church in this small town and zooms out and gives them this big picture of Jesus. And we're going to dive into that more next week. But it's actually believed that what Paul says here in these next verses was an early Christian creed, that it wasn't just something random that Paul was writing, but instead was something that, that they would have repeated over and over again, kind of like a, a familiar worship song that we sing, you know, multiple times on different Sundays. It was a creed of the church, something that they declared, they memorized, they knew it. It was what was in their head. And I would love to challenge us to memorize this creed, that it is in us, part of us, so that we can learn to live in its reality. So I'm going to read it, but then I, I want us, actually, I want you to declare it with me. Because I want to invite you to go on and stand. And this is simply the words out of Colossians 1, 15 through 20. And all we've done really is we've just taken a lot of the hisses and the hymns out of it and just put in who it's talking about. 
Jesus. So let's declare this Colossians Creed that this powerful church in a small town 2,000 years ago would have said in their Sunday celebrations. Because we know if we get a clear view of Jesus, it will change our life. So say this with me. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Jesus, all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Jesus and for Jesus. Jesus is before all things, and in him, all things hold together. Jesus is also the head of the body, the church. And Jesus is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that Jesus himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Jesus and through Jesus to reconcile all things to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. It's all about Jesus. Thanks for listening. Once again, our mission at Grace Monroe is to pursue God's heart for the restoration of all things. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, go to graceformonroe.com connect. Also, if you felt blessed by our ministry and want to partner with us financially, everything you need to know about giving is online at graceformonroe.com give. We hope you have a wonderful week. Be blessed.